So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, I would be remiss if I did not mention and call our attention to the fact that this is the 15th anniversary of September 11th, and I don't know where you were on that day. Um, we all have different stories, I'm sure, of where we were. I have a friend of mine who was on a business trip out east and um, couldn't get back to see his family for days. Um, and, you know, that, that, that whole time was just so hard and so horrific and so difficult. And, um, and then yet at the same time, I couldn't imagine being separated from my family during something so difficult as that day. And so however you remember it, um, it was just a solemn time. Uh, but it, it got me to thinking about being separated from people I love. Um, and there have been times in our lives, I'm sure that you've had this too, where you've been out of contact with people that you love really dearly. Um, now, this is before the age of cell phones. Back in the day, Angela and I were dating, and we were actually engaged to be married. And I thought it would be a great idea to go with a high school group on a backpacking trip. And it was in June. We were going to get married in August. And, um, and so I took off with this, uh, this high school group on a backpacking trip. No contact, no cell phones, no letters, nothing with Angela. And, and up to this point, Angela and I had spent like every waking moment together. I mean, I don't know if you've had that um, in your life, but, uh, but we were together all the time, and uh, we didn't have cell phones, and so we just kind of worked out schedules and things like that. Um, I know, this is so foreign to some of you, no cell phones. I know, no texting, no instantaneous talking to each other. But uh, So we're on this backpacking trip. I'm on this backpacking trip, and um, I'm missing her. I'm I'm missing uh, her voice and her laughter and her, our jokes and all that kind of stuff. I'm missing her deeply. And, 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 I, and I found myself talking about her all the time. And people are like, okay, enough with the Angela stories. And, and I remember, like, even, this is so corny, okay? This is corny. But, like, you know, at night, sun setting, and, and I know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm directionally and I'm, I'm a directionally aware person, and I'm in, I know that Angela is somewhere east of me, you know, and I just, you know, there's just that, you know what I mean? I don't know, it's so dorky. And so um, I, I convinced a guy on the last day, uh, he had to leave early, I convinced him um, that um, I, could I hitch a ride with him? back into Denver, and he's like, yeah, that's fine, and so we got up earlier than the rest of the group, and, and we hiked out pretty quick, and hopped in his car and took off. Well, meanwhile, I guess, crazy thing, Angela was missing me, which was weird, and so she decided to get in her car and drive and meet the trailhead when the group was supposed to be there, and so somewhere on the road, we must have just passed each other, Right? And she gets up there, and the group comes in, and she's like, well, where, where's Ryan at? Well, he left a long time ago. <laughs> no phones. We can't get a hold of each other. I get home. I immediately call her. Nobody answers. I'm like, what the heck? Go over to her house. No one's there. I'm like, what is going on? And so all day long, we're like missing each other. And it was funny when I was thinking about that because I'm thinking about Paul in this letter to the Thessalonians. I mean, he is just, I mean, he uses some really cheesy language, some real emotional, heavy, syrupy language to talk about how much he loves them, 
how much he misses them, how much he, he longs to be with them. And, and this is kind of where we're going to start today. Because his heart is really heavy. His heart is actually, as we can see later in the passage, he's actually hurting because he misses them so much. It says in verse 17, chapter 2, it says, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. He uses this word orphaned like, like, like a child being ripped away from their parent. Okay? And just how painful that would be. Passage before, he talks about being a father to them, being a, a mother to them, being like a young child to them, being very innocent. And now he uses this word orphaned. And he says, we have this intense longing for you. He's, it sounds like he's in emotional turmoil because he's missing them so much. Um, in verse 17, he talks about intense longing. Verse 18, he talks about again and again that he wants to be with them. In verse 19, he talks about joy, He's the, that they are his joy and his glory and his hope. And then in, in verse 5 of the next chapter, he talks about not being able to stand it any longer. I mean, do you have those people in your life? I mean, you cannot wait to be with them. You can't wait to, to have them in your home again or be with them again. And, and there's just some closeness. There's some, your heart hurts when you're away from them. He is so strongly connected with them, it says later on, that, that he would die if they weren't living the way that he thought they were living. He talks about how he can't thank God enough for them in verse 9. And in verse 10, he talks about night and day he prays for them. So apparently, Paul's kind of committed to them. I mean, wouldn't you say? I mean, his intensity to them is pretty powerful. It's pretty huge. So what happened to give Paul this kind of emotional love and affection for this group of people? I mean, what happened? I mean, it couldn't have been because we talked about this last week. Uh, he was accused of being just like a cynic or a, or a sophist, a, a traveling entertainer who would come in and, 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 and basically just try to get money from the people and, and do his little show and then leave. And so some people were accusing him of that, but, but he defended himself, and we talked about that last week. And, and he talked about how he'd live with the people, and he was just with them all the time, and he never took anything from them or never asked of anything from them, but just poured his life into them. Everything. He just gave everything to them. He, talked to, he taught them how to turn from Caesar is king to Jesus is king. And so you can imagine these late night chats he was having with them and, and they were living, he was living in their homes and people would gather together and they were at a guy named Jason's home and, and we learned this out of Acts chapter 17, but they were in Jason's home and, and I'm sure that they had just late night conversations about how to live this out. He was with them 24-7 and I'm sure when Timothy came back and told him about how they were doing, I'm sure Timothy told some stories, man. 
I'm sure some of the stories Timothy told, he's like, you would not believe these guys. And he, and, and he would tell something funny, I'm sure, or, or something that's happening. And, and Paul's just, just like, oh, tell me more, tell me more. I mean, he's just eating up anything he can get about this group. I mean, wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want that kind of people in your life that, that just long to be with you and you with them? So Paul wants to be there, but he can't. And uh, he, he just, again and again, it says he tried. and His absence is not because he's neglecting them. It's, it's not because he doesn't want to be there. He wants to be there really badly, but we learn in verse 18 why he's not with them. Listen to this. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. Now, I don't know about you, but that last line kind of jumps off the, page, the screen a little bit. It's, uh, I, I, I got the thought of a famous pop culture movie of uh, some, some men trying to cross over a bridge and the bridge was blocked and the man blocking the bridge, if you know this movie, you, the man blocking the bridge says, he who wishes to cross the bridge of death, anybody, must answer me these questions three. Come on, Monty Python, where are you? Come on, okay, thank you. Um, I'm the only one that gets my own jokes. Um, I, I keep thinking of, of the images like that, right? Of Satan blocking the way. And, um, but the implications for that, that phrase are pretty big. They're pretty big not only for Paul and his worldview, but for ours. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit. What is that word? word blocked actually means that uh, somebody's sabotaging. It's like a, it's a military term for sabotaging the way for an approaching army. So it would be like in World War II when we sent uh, paratroopers in to blow up bridges and, and do, to block the advance of the German army. This is, this is what that word blocked means. And some have speculated what happened, um, that, that how did Satan do this. Um, some people think that uh, Paul had an illness they couldn't shake. Some people believe that, some scholars believe that it was um, all the trauma in Thessalonica and that um, people were out to get Paul and there was like this, uh, there's this deal there going on, which could have been the case. Um, some people actually believe that when Paul was writing this letter, he was in Corinth. And, and if you've ever read Corinthians, you get a kind of a hint that the Corinthian church was pretty jacked up, pretty jacked up. And so Paul, maybe that Satan blocking Paul's way was, I can't leave these people in Corinth because they are so in a nightmare state right now. And it could have been all those things. It could have been this huge uh, storm, perfect storm of all those things together that kept Paul from going. And, and it allowed Paul to kind of say, okay, this isn't God saying, ah, I don't want you to go. This is the work of the adversary. 
This is a supernatural thing happening. And it's what's interesting with Paul is in Acts 16, there's a dichotomy. There's a, there's a difference on how this works. So in Acts 16, and we're going to throw this up on the screen. There's a, there's a verse in Acts 16 that goes, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of that place. And Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from pre-Asia, so this uh, there's, they're wanting to do a good thing there, and the Holy Spirit keeps them from going. And yet Paul wants to do a good thing here, and it's Satan that keeps him from going. And so you're just like, okay, what? what's happening here? What is going on? Now, let me just try to explain a little bit from as best I can from my perspective. Uh, almost three years ago, uh, we started meeting here at the Arvada Center. Our church was meeting on Sunday nights at another church. And um, everything was exciting. We were moving here. Um, someone donated us a box truck, and, and, and a bunch of other churches rallied together and gave us some things to, to help make this happen. And we actually were in the next room over, but um, we were in our, we were excited. Uh, People were inviting people. Um, our attendance doubled, and there was just some exciting things happening. And the Sunday before, the Sunday before our grand opening here at the Arvada Center, uh, a person on our staff disclosed to me that um, he was having an adulterous extramarital affair. And it wasn't one of those, hey, I'm sorry for doing it. It was a giant painful, horrible nightmare for our church. And if you were here, you knew about it. And if you're new, you're just hearing about it. But let me just tell you how painful and horrible it was. The national director of church planning in our denomination didn't think we were going to survive this. Um, there was more that came out as the months went on into the holiday season so much so that in November of that holiday season, I literally had a panic attack on my driveway. Um, I don't know if you guys did. Have I told you that story before? Lay, literally laid down on the driveway. Um, there was, it was painful. This other stuff spilled into um, our lap. That um, It was just, it was a horrible, no good, very bad time. And when I see Paul write these letters, that the adversary was against him, I think I know what that was like. Now, there's some of us that uh, you may go, ah, I don't really believe in the supernatural. I really don't believe in evil forces and stuff. And, and that's fine. And, and you may be on that end of the pendulum. And then there's some of you that actually believe that when your car doesn't start, that's the devil. And that's also another end of the pendulum that's not totally correct. But I think Paul has a way of discerning. That there's good things that God wants us to do. There's really powerful things. But then there's, there's evil at work. There's, there's painful things. There's broken things at work in people and in situations and in structures that, that really is the enemy at work, the adversary at work. And, and that was a horrible season for us in the life of our church. And, 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 and so that's why it's hard for me when, when I hear people say things like, everything happens for a reason. Because it's not true. 
I mean, I wasn't laying on my driveway having a panic attack thinking, everything happens for a reason. This is, this, there's a reason. This is, it's good. This is good. This feels great. I'm excited. <laughs> God's at work. And yet, and Paul doesn't say in this passage, he doesn't say, well, it must have been God's plan that I didn't get to see you. You know, much like some of us, we, we're too quick to even throw the God card in on things. You know, I remember I, I worked with high school students for years, and, and the, 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 Christian, the Christian high school trump card for breaking up with your, your girlfriend or boyfriend was, God told me so. God told me to do it. No, he didn't. You just didn't want to date him anymore. And you just... <laughs> and so Paul doesn't use that. And so there's this, uh, there's just this understanding that we need to have, the gravity of what is at stake here. What is at stake here as a community of believers and what is at stake in our world is that decisions and activities uh, of the spiritual world interact with the decisions and activities of the physical. And the adversary is at work. And Paul recognizes that. And so let's go to verse 19 as we continue on, because we, we needed to talk about that. Paul says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are the glor- our glory and our joy. And Paul has this huge, this is a power-packed image, full, uh, verses full of imagery and and, and beauty. And, and first of all, the, uh, one of the things we need to understand is this idea of glory and crowns. This is a very uh, Greek-Roman idea of, of when you would win something, when you would win the prize, you were given a crown, and it was a, a laurel wreath, okay? Kind of like we're used to gold medals, okay? We know what a gold medal is. They knew what a laurel wreath was. And so what Paul is saying is that I'm in a struggle, I'm in a, I'm in a race, I'm in an, an event here, this is what my life's all about, and you are the winning prize. You are so important to me, you are, you are the one I am working this all out for. You are the ones that I am excited about the end for. Now, this word presence, and, and we, we have a, this word presence is a really powerful word. It's parousia in the Greek, and the word presence is actually a Greek word that means the arrival of a king. And what would happen in a community when the king came to town? And some, sometimes the arrival of a king would mean Oh, great reverence, great excitement, and sometimes the arrival of a king meant a whole bunch of fear. And Paul's using it in the idea of great excitement. And what Paul means by an arrival of a great king, actually, he's talking about Jesus. A Jewish rabbi from Galilee is the arrival of a great king. Do you know how crazy that is? 
in a culture that saw Caesar and Zeus and all these other gods as huge and important, Paul says, no, the arrival of the great king is this Jewish carpenter from Nazareth who died and rose again and is coming back. It's not Caesar, and it's not Zeus. It's Jesus. And so... In verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he continues and says, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to, to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker, in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. It turned out that way, uh, and it turned out that way, as you well know. And so the, he, he talks about these trials, and he sends Timothy back them to, to encourage them. Remember, we talked about this for the people in, Thessal in Thessalonica, that if they were to really follow Jesus and to turn away from all the idols, it would be similar to you and I giving up the internet. Something that everybody uses, everybody does, everybody uses for shopping and for all social, everything. Like, if you were to give up the internet, email, your job would be affected, your life would be affected, your social status would be affected, your economics would be affected, everything would be affected. People would think you were crazy. Hey, hey, can I email you? I don't do the internet. What? Do you like live in a, are you off the grid? You're one of those guys? You live out of a can? And, um, and so people would think you're crazy. And, and so this is what's happening for them. What's happening for them is that people are reacting to the fact that they no longer worship Caesar. That they no longer, in a, in a, in a city that has to maintain a certain level of allegiance to Caesar because they were a special city. And there's a faction of people inside of it that are absolutely revolutionary. And so they're going to feel it, aren't they? Paul told them they would feel it. Paul told them that he feels it. And there's this idea of persecution um, that I think uh, we need to talk about a little bit here. Romans 8, 17, Paul says to another group of people, now, if we are children, he says, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So the, the reality is, if you follow Jesus, you're going to share in the fact that Jesus suffered. You're going to feel it. I'm going to feel it. We're going to feel it because we share not only in the, the good, but in the heart as well. So today in Denver, 2016, what does persecution look like? Well, probably mostly social and relational for us, right? It's probably social and a relational thing. So um, I get this all the time, this idea of like, you still go to church? You know, it's, it's so weird. What, what do you do there? Um, why do you lead it? Um, you know, things like that. Or, or um, from, from some, um, uh, holding this view of, 
this worldview, this view of Scripture, and this view of, of the story of Scripture interacting with our world um, is seen as intellectually deficient. And so you catch that as well um, if you have conversations with folks. Um, some people think it's archaic or insane to not have sex whenever, with whoever, um, if you're single and you're trying to live a holy, holistic life, you're, you're seen as crazy. Um, people find out you give money away. Why would you do that? I mean, I know the tax thing, and I guess that, you know, there's a tax shield deal, but you give 10% of your money away? You're nuts. You could drive a sweet car with that. And so there's this social kind of relational piece that we feel in Denver, but we really don't have it bad. Um, in other parts of the world, persecution turns out to be a lot more dangerous, a lot more violent. Pakistan, Iraq, Kenya. I Man, I could go on. If you're in Syria right now, and you follow Jesus, man, it's a whole different ballgame. And Paul says all of this is to be expected. And then Paul goes into this final piece here in verse 5. And then we'll kind of wrap it up. It says, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I sent somebody to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the, temper, the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we, were, just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Verse 8, this is great. For now we really live. Have you ever hurt for somebody so much until you got news? And then the news you got was so good, it just kind of, it, it, it just brought you back almost. I mean, you can almost feel a physical change. He says, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can... How, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So here's some implications for us. How does this work itself out for us? Another, another week where there's no strict commandments in the text, there's nothing that says do this, don't do that. Paul has made up his mind that leading and guiding and encouraging this group of people is the most important thing in his life. He's made up his mind. And there's something about how Paul loves people with such ferocity, such intentionality, such focus. See, Paul is a follower of Jesus who's further down the road, obviously, than the Thessalonians. I mean, some of the, the Thessalonians may be a year into knowing Jesus. I mean, they're, they're really new at this whole thing, and he's, he's mentoring them in their growth because he's further down the road. One of the things I love about this church 
And if we were all here, it'd be like twice the size of this. But if, if one of the things I love about this church is that we are um, unintentionally, but super thankfully, multi-generational. Meaning we didn't intend to go, hey, let's, let's be a multi-generational church. No, we just decided to plant a church. And sometimes when you plant a church, it becomes all young people or, or whatever. Or sometimes it's all single people. But for some reason, God has gifted us with this beautiful multi-generational collage that we have. And I love it. Which means there are people uh, ahead of you in the journey and behind you in the journey. And that is a beautiful thing. And, and we need to lean into that. See, Paul, for Paul, their community was everything. All they had was each other. That's all they had. There are sorts of encouragement, and in many ways, economically, and um, that's all they had was each other. So what would it look like? What would it look like for, for you to have this kind of love and care for a group of people? What would, what would it look like for you to orient your life in such a way that you had time and intentionality for people? Not just your duties as a, as, a, as a business person or as a teacher or as a stay-at-home mom or all those things. There's your great things. But what if there was a way for you to intensely commit to one or two people in your life ahead of you in the journey that you could learn from behind you in the journey? Who are you leading? Who are you mentoring? Who have you encouraged this week? Who have you sought out in such a way that, that your heart has hurt for them? Who are you showing with your life what it looks like to follow King Jesus? I mean, that, those are some of the questions I have for us. And I think Paul has two attributes here that, that define Paul's love for them. First one, he's supremely focused. I mean, he is focused on them. He thinks about them. He prays for them. We'll get into that here in a second. But uh, he's so intentional about them. And he's committed to them. And that is challenging to me. Because people are messy, and people are hard, and people are difficult, and people, it's hard. It's hard to be and focused in on people. And sometimes people, when they burn us, when they, when they let us down, or they, or they, whatever it is, we decide, you know what? I think I'm done with people for a while. I think I'm going to just concentrate on me. Um, uh, our culture is very into me time and um, all the things that allow us uh, comfort and space, buffer from people. Paul doesn't have a buffer. He's got no defense. He's got nothing to insulate him. All he's doing is just pouring out. And so as our church grows, I got to be honest with you, I can't do that all. I can't be the person that meets with everybody and encourages everybody and counsels everybody and mentors everybody. And I'm not saying I do that, but I'm saying, well, what, what we need is a community that's about this. What we need is you need to understand that wherever you are in your journey, you're a couple steps ahead of somebody else. And, and, and if Paul is our model, he continues to tell the Thessalonians to imitate him, well, then he's telling us to imitate him. And you've got to make yourself available for that. Because there's something powerful that will happen in your life when you do that. And then the second thing Paul does, he's just faithful in his prayer. He says day and night he's praying. This is ongoing prayer for them. And 
Um, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and someone challenged me. They said, if God answered all the prayers you, you asked, you, all the prayers you prayed in the last year, who would have been affected? I mean, it was like, a, you know, kind of a um, Bruce Almighty type thing, you know? <laughs> like, if everybody you prayed for, they were changed. That prayer changed their circumstance, their situation, their heart, their, their whatever. Who would have been affected? That was not a cool question to try to answer. A lot of my prayers are about me. And that's just been a huge challenge to me. And you might be saying, okay, Ryan, well, this is all great, but I feel like I need to get in a better place and I need to get more on track with God and I need to this and I need to that and I need to, well, it sounds like a lot of eyes. You're never going to be at the place that you think you need to be in order to do what God needs you to do. Sophie just stood up here and told you the same thing she's feeling. She's feeling it. You're feeling it. We're all feeling it. She stands up here and says, I know God wants me to do this, and I have no clue how to do it. I don't have the skill set. I don't have the this. I don't have the that. Okay, God says, good for you. Go do it. And there's something about focusing on people and reaching out to people. You, you, you just could be a huge listening ear to somebody. There's somebody right now in this congregation that, that you're thinking, it might be in your mind that you go, I want to learn from them. I want to hear from them. I want to know them. There's someone in this congregation that you just go, man, I feel like I was them 10 years ago, five years ago, last week. What does that mean? You can actually help your friends, your family, and us to follow Jesus. Your story, your voice, we need it. We need it. You don't need mine. <laughs> we need each other's. And the second thing that Paul does as we wrap this up is he looks to the future. Paul is mindful of the day that he believes is coming that he believes is coming, that is so big and so good. And, and, and if it's not coming, he even said, not, if it's not coming, then we're all crazy. He says, then we should be pitied because we are making such sacrifices right now. We are saying no to some things right now that are so, uh, the world tells us are so important and so life-giving. And, and we're saying no to those things because King Jesus is more important and he's so future-looking. And how... If you were future-looking like Paul, what would change in your life? What would change? I mean, we're called to be a part of something that's coming and not something that is now. And so that's the whole idea of people of the future, forming our actions, okay, in the present through the lens of the future, through the lens of how God wants it to be. So let me ask you a few final questions, okay? How would relationships change in your life if you chose to live in light of the future? What would change? What new relationships would you pursue? 
How would you steward the unique opportunities that you alone are presented with in your life? You alone are presented with them. I don't live your life. You don't live mine. How would you steward the opportunities that you alone are presented with? What what would you do with messy people in your life if you lived in light of the future? I'm talking really hard, messy, difficult, frustrating people. What would you do with your finances if you lived in light of the future? How would you balance your time if you lived in light of the future? Because here's the thing. Paul tells us that people, they're worth it. People are worth it. Paul's view of the future informed his view of people. And if people aren't that important to you, um, that needs to change. According to Paul, according to Scripture, according to Jesus, that needs to change. And I know you've been wounded, and I know you've been hurt, and I know you've been burned, and I know it, I get it. I mean, look at Paul. This guy's been burned and hurt over and over and over again. I'm sure he had people turn on him. I'm sure, I mean, he got, he got thrown in jail, he got beaten, he got whipped, but he kept intentionally focusing on people. Why? Because of King Jesus. And so this morning as a church, as we wrap up, how does this land to you? You know, how does this look? How do we become more pursuant of each other? Of each other, of our neighbors, of our people in our lives, our family, our business associates, whatever it is, how does that change? How do we live in light of the future with the people in our lives, unique to us? Who in here needs to have conversations? Who do you need to get to know? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. We want to know the joy and the glory of each other. That there are people in our lives um, that we need to see as worth it, that worth it. That our agendas need to drop that our needs being met become secondary. And we pursue them. We reach out to them. We encourage them. No matter how we feel, no matter how ready we are for that, no matter how uh, capable we think we are, you've called us to it. Show us how to intentionally show love, affection, and care to the people in our lives, the people in our community. Let this be a community, God. Show us how this can be a community that and people look from the outside looking in going, okay, I want that. That is what I yearn for. I don't want to just go to church. I want that.
God, show us how to be that. Because of this letter written over 2,000 years ago, you are so good to us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to take our offering. We do this every, every week. If you're new, um, you can let it go by. Um, and we're just thankful you're here. But if you call this your church home, continue to support what's happening. Um, some of those funds go to different parts of the world and different organizations and, and different things that we're a part of as a church. So um, be a part of that. So you stand and let's worship together.